This podcast episode is part of the 11th QED Changemaker Forum on leading corporate sustainability from ideas to action. The importance of environmental, social, and governance factors in ensuring corporate longevity is well established. But in this season, where we chat with industry leaders, we will instead focus on their personal perspectives on the best practices and workarounds to implementation challenges, so on how instead of why. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, founding partner at QED. Our guest today is no stranger to our podcast channel. As the Senior Vice President and Head of ADECO ASEAN of the ADECO Group in Singapore, she's directly responsible for the organization's country operations, which works towards reinventing workforce solutions for a resilient economy and creating a talent platform to address the ever-changing landscape of skill shortage and transformation. A seasoned leader with a wealth of experience under her wing, she has worked at ADECO for over 15 years in diverse roles delivering solutions to many Fortune 500 companies, as well as small and medium enterprises. Let's welcome Battle Gench to the QED Changemakers podcast. Hi, Bethel. Great to have you back with us on this podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Great to be back as well. Uh, I heard that you've just recently got promoted. <laughs> yeah, it's, let's say, expansion of roles. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to have people back and then you're always having a bigger role, isn't it? It is. It is indeed, yeah. Well, for the benefit of those who are new to us, could you tell us a little bit more about the Ateco Group, uh, your company and what you do there? Well, the Ateco Group is world's leading HR solutions company. So what we do is we provide end-to-end and HR recruitment, staffing, outsourcing, BPO, RPO solutions to our clients, our candidates at a footprint of 60 countries. ADECO is founded in Switzerland. It's established in Singapore since 1985. Believe or not, we have been in this exact same location, show center, show building since we've been established. We are providing also in Singapore, we are providing a comprehensive array of workforce solutions, consulting services, which includes from entry to mid-level talent acquisition and then temporary and contract staffing, outsourcing, field sales marketing, as well as payroll services. We do have special expertise areas, which includes accounting, finance, admin, secretarial, banking, legal, digital, e-commerce, engineering, healthcare, life sciences. So as you see, pretty much we cover every industry, every role within that industry. Betul, you are the people company. Indeed, we are, yeah. I mean, we always, you know, talk about production, manufacturing, and the life cycle of any product. In our case, our asset is our people. And we do deliver to people via people, through people. So it's pretty much a people organization. So great, right? Because you recently spoke at the 11th QED Changemaker Forum. Now, when we discuss on the topic of leading corporate sustainability and we're moving away from just ideas all the way to action. Now, could you summarize for our listeners what you shared at the session? Sure. It was a great session, by the way. A lot of industry experts, matter of experts that do share their points of view. As a deco, we always try to come in and look at it from an HR angle. So what I focused during the session was on the human capital governance aspect of ESG. And the topics I've covered during the session was also about the social protection of the vulnerable workforce, be it your senior citizens, be it with people with disabilities, or even, you know, the yellow ribbon individuals we are talking here. The 
second part was about the health and well-being of uh, and how leaders should role model the right behavior over there. There is a lot of conversation happening around that, but there is no one size that fits for all. So every leader should be the role model for their right behavior for the organization. Another note, it was about education and training and ensuring that individuals do have the right tools and skills needed to participate fully in the society and economy and also be there for the future ready workforce because there's a lot of change, a rapid change happening over there. Super important to really, you know, hop onto that wagon of reskilling and upskilling. On the ESG part, again, transparency and accountability, which definitely helps promote trust and confidence was something I've touched base. And last but not least, uh, inclusive participation with effective governance uh, to ensure that the voices are heard and not only heard, but also considered was something that I've touched base on. Thank you so much. And I'm sure that all the people who actually attended received a lot of insights from your sharing. But you've heard about all the inputs from the other speakers as well as the conversations that happened at the forum. What are your key takeaways beyond what you just shared that can translate all these ideas that we're having into action? I think that's a great point because whenever we are exposed to a new topic, a new discussion, it is important to really filter and see what really benefits your organization, your team, your division, to what extent we're looking. So my takeaways, especially during that session, was there were many organizations, many businesses who are all at a very different stage when we talk about ESG. It is super crucial to assess where your business, where your organization is, and find out what stage you are before you start really coming up with a 5, 10, uh, 20 year plan. So that's number one for me. It is, again, very important to have a sponsor from your leadership and, you know, accountability, support and transparency in your communication. So if you can't have that, having a great plan on your slides, on your uh, paper is only a plan on the paper without having accountability and obviously, you know, the entire rollout then we talk there. And last, I would say, was having a proper structure and buy-in from your employees. So it's not only your leadership, but your people, your teams are super important as well. If you try to push a top-down approach, where no one really knows what's happening and what is there to expect in terms of outcome. Again, there are too many gaps in terms of the entire execution and accountability. So these were the three massive messages I actually write down and underline after the session. And you're so right, right? Because whatever doesn't get measured doesn't get done. And I think that's true in all organizations. And I love it, the fact that you actually mentioned that it is collective effort, not top-down, which we assume that, no, for example, if it's only the leaders talking about it, it's just the leaders shouting on top of their lungs. But if no one is moving, <laughs> nothing moves. And it's just a great idea and a very expensive PowerPoint, I must say. It is. <laughs> True. I would like to put more focus on the social and governance aspects of the entire forum and the discussion as well. Because we find that a lot of this corporate sustainability conversation focuses on only one of the three pillars, which is under environment. And I want to give it more airtime on the social part of it. And I think that's the very key part into organizations. I mean, without people, uh, we don't have a future. A very important thing. 
I would like to spend more time uh, about what was actually shared on the panel and perhaps also focus a little bit more on the examples and case studies covering the social and governance pillars of ESG. Uh, do you mind then telling us what are some of the organizational industry best practices or case studies that you happen to know of or part of? Well, thanks for highlighting that, Ryan. I think when we talk about ESG, the environmental impact is pretty much, you know, uh, outlined or shining out. At Adeco Group, I mean, as a case study, I definitely share what we do at Adeco. We are part of the Paradigm for Parity, which is a business coalition that is focused on eliminating the gender gap, especially within the corporate leadership. And there has been a very clear target for us to achieve gender parity, especially in our leadership levels by 2030. And that is a measurement that is you know, driven at global level, at regional level, even at country level. So it's not only a target that someone has, but it's really cascaded down within the organization where everyone is fully aligned. As of today, we are at 66% on our total employees uh, within the female uh, percentage. And um, while female representation at board of director level is 43, we are trying to bring it to a healthy balance of 50-50 by 2030. So that's that one of the best practices that we have within Adecco. Well, is it easy to measure? or Because I, I think the current discussion is that when it comes to social impact, gender is easy to measure. Oh, easier, I would say it's easy. Easier to measure. What about social impact? Is there a better or easier way so that if it's easier to measure and it's being measured, then there's actually a lot more action taken by organizations towards the direction? It's definitely true, as, as you said, you know, what doesn't measure doesn't get done as well. But the social impact is such a tangible point to try to measure, you know, set a target or uh, give it a KPI. That's why uh, we are focusing on the gender parity, which is relatively easier to measure. So for your question, is it easy to measure? Yes, you know, the gender equality or even the racial equality is, you know, easier to measure. But when we talk about uh, a broader uh, aspect, of uh, the social impact, I think that's where it gets relatively complicated. So it's super important for the organizations to try come up with simple or, or smart targets, as we all call, uh, which, which makes it easier to track, to measure, and also provide feedback to the stakeholders. So Bethel, you mentioned about the employee relations, including their health and safety as well, as one of the easier markers to measure social impact as well, right? Could you tell us more? So I was I was talking about, you know, during pandemic, the importance of mental well-being and social well-being was highlighted enormously. And we all know that there has been a blurring of work and personal life with increased digitalization. Uh, so the employer-employee and employee-colleague relationship was also eroded. And we know that there is less in-person interaction. It's also doubled with, you know, work from home or that blended workforce, blended working arrangements, which creates a bit more gap in terms of how we are interacting. So I'll relate to what we do here at Adeco. We are trying to, you know, ensure that there is a conducive work environment, uh, not only in the office, but at home as well. And we opened our flexi benefits to purchase some uh, work from home related tools and equipments. So all these, I would say, at the end of the day, are some sort of measurements that would help the organizations to measure the social impact overall. Right. So in other words, the focus is no longer just on employee engagement, but employee relations and wellness as well. Right. Exactly. And, and what you're seeing is that usually this is uh, at, as the 
low-hanging fruit, it would be more survey-based, where you'll find that you, you're tracking responses over a period of time. How often would companies do this kind of a measurement? Would it be like an annual survey, monthly survey, or...? I think monthly would be too much. There has been a, a practice of quarterly. Again, here at Adeco, we recently moved to bi-yearly, so we do it every six months. It also gives you a good direction to understand how some of those implementations changes have impacted the voice of your employees and what could be your next short-term goals try to achieve. That would definitely help you with your longer-term goals as well. So having that feedback is super crucial. Monthly, in my opinion, might be too much, but a quarterly or you know a six-month uh, survey is definitely something that organizations should consider. But I'm gonna ask you something else as well, right? I think a lot of people have talked about trust as part of the social impact. Do you think trust should also be one of the factors being considered or measured when it comes to the S pillar for social? It is a very important aspect. How do you measure trust? Because I don't have a, a silver bullet for that, but it is super important, yes. It, it's more of a feeling, I would say, rather than trying to measure it, but it's super important. It's one of those things that sometimes if you look at it, there's these uh, trust barometers going on where they try to get a sensing, but that's actually measured over time. Uh, you're right, it is actually more of a, a perception of trust as well. And, and I think is the only time is when it's really been tested. Can you trust when it matters? <laughs> there is no trust index that we can refer to. <laughs> Something to work on <laughs> for all of us. Exactly. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So we talked about some of the ideas when it comes to implementation, right? But what uh, I'm, I'm sure with all great intent, there is also great resistance and great challenges. So what are some of the biggest challenges that organizations face when implementing social ideas and strategies? Well, Ryan, I think this is also another great question because ESG is on top of every conversation now. Every organization is coming up with their short-term, long-term plans, you know, uh, and, and, and look at how uh, the impact to the entire uh, organization and their industry is. It comes with certain challenges. And I would put the limited resources and budget constraints as number one. There are very quick wins, but allocation of funds, especially for social initiatives, amidst in competing priorities can be challenging, especially for smaller businesses. So that is, you know, number one that we should be mindful. Second, I would say, be a resistance to change and the stakeholder engagement. When implementing social ideas uh, and, and strategies, it requires pretty much everyone in the organization to understand the thought process, the ideas, strategies, and be fully on board with it. Sometimes with organizational culture and buy-in, it might be a challenge. So the stakeholder engagement is super important as well ensuring that everyone has clearly understood why we're doing that and what are the small impacts that we can all create for the organization to try and achieve their targets. So that, I would say, is another challenge that we definitely need to uh, address and tackle. Another one, most likely the lack of alignment with business objectives. ESG is trending, yes, we all know, and we have to be realistic. But business growth is also still a very key focus for most of the businesses. I would say finding the right balance between the social impact 
and the business objectives and also trying to have the financial stability and ensuring there is a long-term success in the social initiatives is really a key challenge to make sure that there is a clear plan before we start drumming and you know ensuring that everyone is on board on that and last i would mention is the measurement and evaluation that's something that we've just discussed as well um, there some targets are easier to, to to measure but before implementing especially the social initiatives initiatives we, we it is crucial that we need to ensure that there are proper measurement metrics and roi and it is also communicated to the wider team as well so your input has helped us to achieve this output that's where we are and that's our next target so we have to be super smart when we are setting those targets as well well i, I think it's great that you actually raised this as well right because I, I think a lot of organizations today see social impact versus business impact separately and i'm literally uh, you know, sharing one of the other initiatives that we've seen recently is it even possible that the social results and the business results happen at the same time. For example, right, maybe each sale or each transaction, there is already a certain apportionment of that because it's tied to the business result that goes to funding the social cause, for example. Well, wouldn't that be helpful? It would definitely. And I think it's also important to engage your people, your employees at a very early uh, stage in the process as well. As I mentioned previously, if we treat this as a top-down approach. It really doesn't create that sense of belonging. And uh, that, I would say, uh, would make a big difference. Right, which means that all the stakeholders, employees and employers, all need to know why they're doing it and what's it that they have to stick and stay the course, correct? Exactly, yeah. So is, is there a better way to better engage and inspire employees? I mean, usually uh, employers generally you know, understand exactly why they're doing it because it came from them most of the time. But how do we then activate our employees, fellow colleagues as well, so that they embrace it wholeheartedly rather than dragging their feet? I think it's all about bringing out that passion. I'm sure everyone has a passion for social practice, but how do we bring it out, right? As long as we are able to push that button, click that button, they will be more engaged and inspired because the more you know that you are doing good, the better you feel and you want to be actively part of it. So that's important. Again, engaging them at a very early stage uh, of the process is also very important. It creates a lot of focus uh, where people feel that they are part of the project or even if they are leading the project, if we allow them and empower them to make decisions, then the buy-in is definitely much higher than something that is asked them to do. And it's always important to have role models. You know, walking to talk, as we always know, is super important. But if we can actively promote ambassadors within some smaller groups and make them a bit more visible to the bigger team, that is also very inspirational and, and helping to engage and inspire other employees, I would say. Plus, if I might add, I would also add the transparent communication to that. You know, tying social practices with business objectives is great but how do we create that meaningful work and purpose and also communicate that transparently with our people because at the end of the day uh, the financial achievements that every organization is trying to get out or achieve is obvious so there is nothing wrong by hiding that but how do we tie that those into the work and purpose and the social impact so it comes as a bundle for everyone when we're talking about it all right, so the ownership is important and clear communication 
point as well. Thanks for raising this. And, and there's a school of thought as well, right? Let's go from inspiring to perspiring. And I always perspire when regulators are involved. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask a more interesting question. When and how should regulators play a role uh, when it comes to practical implementation of social efforts? And uh, right now, it seems reasonably light when it comes to regulation in that particular space. From your perspective, right, when and how should they play a role and how effective can they be? Well, there is no right or wrong answer, I would say, to this because whilst regulations are effective in providing a proper structure a standard measurement and roi do we want this to be completely you know measured and structured by them or we want this to be really part of the company culture really you know part of our purpose is what i would really focus on so i would definitely benefit from the regulations when it comes to the structure a standard measurement and you know a, a standard uh, roi measurement but when we talk about implementation and making sure that everyone is fully on board, it's definitely something that we should build within the culture, within the organization, and not rely on any regulatory bodies. So it should be from your heart and rather than just doing it because I have to. Yes, that's what I would say. <laughs> Fails the whole purpose, right? And we know that uh, under the ESG pillar, there's been calls where executive compensations has been asked to be tied to the environmental performance part of it. Now, I'm not too sure about the social performance part of it. Do you think that we should have more of that and align with what the environmental pillar is also doing? Well, I think this is just adding more fuel to the existing debates that's happening. There are many studies that have been conducted. I think a recent one from uh, Willis Towers Watson was that 78% of board members and senior executives within the organization, they agree that strong ESG performance contributes to organizational value and or their financial performance. There is also a group that heavily believes that uh, the executive compensation should not be tied to the social performance. And there are quite a bit of varying views as it's easier said than it's done, I would say. Some would find that adoption of the ESG pay reflected in positive improvements in, in, in key outcome, but not by improvements in financial performance. And some would also find that it helped in both ESG and financial outcomes. So I think we all need to pick where we want to play and, and, and operate on that one. So that means it should be aligned with your business's uh, mission and uh, values in, in terms of what he's trying to do, correct? And use that as a, as a marker. Yeah, I would say whilst it's a measurable way to uh, hold the leaders accountable, there are challenges as it requires a very clear structure tailored to every organization's social objectives and business goals. As a people company, we mentioned earlier that we spoke about the regulators. Let's shift gears and talk about governance, which is all the management of all the organizations here. Do you happen to have a wish list for better governance when it comes to complementing the social pillar? Yes, well, I would definitely uh, focus on how do we create a balance by providing opportunities to the vulnerable workforce. It's something that I would I would really ask every leader to uh, you know consider. The health and well-being is also very important. I mean, uh, in this very fast-paced AI robotics you know world where uh, everything is happening fast. How do we encourage our people to protect their uh, mental well-being and, you know, overall well-being and also encourage them to reconnect and disconnect again? Uh, so it is it is something that, you know, I would I would really ask uh, every leader to, to consider. Again, one thing which is very dear to my heart and I think it's 
very much uh, a hot topic in Singapore as well is the reskilling and upskilling. We need to really do a skills map uh, within our organization, within our teams to identify the skills that are required to, 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 to fully participate in society and the economy, not only today, but in the next days and months to come as well. We're talking about green skills, we're talking about many skills that are being shifted with, with the entire transformation. But how is our workforce ready? And how, as, as organizations, we support our people, our individuals, to help them remain competitive and employable in the future as well. So Beto, uh, help me understand. In other words, what you're saying is that this skills mapping or a skills bank that we're talking about is not just to map that of what's needed by organization, but also whether that skill sets actually exist in a society and the social side of it that we are serving and to see whether there's a mismatch. And if there is one, then there should be some help trying to make sure that those skills are present on that space. Exactly. Do you have any parting thoughts and or advice for the leaders listening in, especially in the areas of embedding this entire social impact into the company culture? Thanks, Ryan. I'd like to, again, highlight and mention that uh, it is vital to understand that every organization, every business is at a different stage. And when we talk about ESG, then it's even a different stage that we should be looking at. It is vital that we assess our organization, our business, our people on where we are. And we have to be realistic to come up with, you know, what we are trying to achieve. There is a lot of conversation about greenwashing as well. So there is a very fine line between what we are trying to achieve and what we are trying to create as an ideal world uh, that to achieve, that I would say is, is super important. When we are implementing especially the, the, the social governance part of it, it is super important to have the sponsor from the leadership. Make sure that, you know, the accountability, the support and the transparency in terms of communications is top down, bottom up and middle up. So everyone is really, you know, fully aligned. Uh, we are super transparent with what we want to do and how we want to do. And we've got accountability not only from our top leaders, but also from key players within the organization as well. And this all builds in or ties into having a very proper structure and buy-in from the entire organization. So I would say let's try not to make it a top-down approach where no one knows what's happening, but we are clear with the purpose. We are connecting it to our business requirements and there is a clear plan for everyone to achieve in the next three to five years. Right. Thank you so much, Beto, for being on our podcast for the 11th QED Changemaker Forum. Really appreciate your sharing of your experiences as well as perspective. Thank you so much, Beto. Most importantly, thank you listeners for tuning in to our podcast. Do remember to subscribe to our channel and be updated on our latest episodes. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, and I look forward to having you in our next episode.